You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello there, tech fan listeners. It's your host, David Cohen here, and this is tech fan number 272. I'm recording a solo show this week. Um, I'm afraid that Tim and I kind of got our schedules misaligned for our normal recording time last Friday. I wasn't able to do it. I was traveling back from work and I was stuck on a train and um, Tim wasn't available over the weekend because he was working. But I didn't really want to uh, leave another week without you giving without giving you guys something to listen to. So I thought I would do a solo show. So it would probably be, um, as is my nature for a solo show, a little bit shorter than we would normally do. Um, I don't really want to drone on myself just for an hour. I'm not sure how interesting that will be compared to the normal back and forth between Tim and myself. But I did have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Um, got a little bit of listener feedback that I want to address. Uh, and um, obviously last week I had had my iPhone 7 for about two hours. So I wasn't really able to say very much about it. So I'd like to expand on that now that I've been using it for a week. Let you guys know what it's like to actually use one and uh, what the differences are from the uh, from the older things and how to deal with some of the... Uh, challenges that come with the change in design, the change in functionality, and obviously uh, the big thing, the uh, change in the fact that the headphone port isn't there anymore. So I just want to share with you uh, my experiences this week. Uh, hopefully that'll be useful to uh, to some, some of the listeners. And um, then we can move on from the iPhone next week when uh, Tim and I are back and talk about other things in the tech industry. But first of all, um, as I promised, some listener feedback. I had a couple of tweets from um nathan bargate who um i'm pretty sure we've uh we've spoken about him on the show before he has indeed tweeted this in the past um and he said to me um at david b cohen which is my uh my personally uh twitter account um if you want to get to me through that um i am using twitter a bit more nowadays so uh by all means tweet me there if you want to but i digress he said uh just listening to you talk about raspberry pies what do you use yours for? I want to get into using them, but I don't have any ideas of what to use it for. Thanks. Smiley face. So yeah, um, the Raspberry Pi. I currently own three Raspberry Pis. I have the uh, original Model B, uh, and I also have the Raspberry Pi Zero, which is the very cheap $5 Raspberry Pi, which is kind of cut-down version of the, of the Model B. And then I have the... Um, the current one, which is the Raspberry Pi 3, which is the uh, the latest one they've done where they've managed to integrate, for the same price as the older ones, they've managed to integrate uh, both Bluetooth and wireless functionality into the device. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know any details about what, what the Raspberry Pi is, effectively it's a computer on a very small, uh, less than credit card size motherboard. Um, it's a full ARM processor computer. It has a couple of USB ports. It's powered by USB. Um, it also has, it's very expandable. It has a, a effectively a set of GPIO pins that, that are on the motherboard that allow you to connect all sorts of different devices. And there's a real industry that's risen up around the Raspberry Pi in terms of creating extra devices that can hook through that port onto the, onto the pro computer and uh, give you different input, output, functions, sensors, uh, monitors, all sorts of things, pretty much anything you can think of. Somebody's figured out a way to do it with the Raspberry Pi. Um, the advantage of it is that it's a full Linux running ARM computer. Uh, basically, it boots off an SD card that's mounted onto the processor. So it runs out of flash, which is nice and relatively quick. Um, and you don't have to worry about spinning drives, which makes it very robust as well. Um, low power requirements, it runs off, as I say, off a 5 volt USB connection has HDMI built into the motherboard, so you can very easily connect it to uh, a screen to be able to get video output. Um, and yeah, it's a fabulous little system, extremely well supported. Um, effectively, if you go to the Raspberry Pi website, they'll have downloads to allow you to just basically put an operating system on an SD card and boot up and be up there straight away with a full desktop operating system and then there's various custom different operating systems for doing different functions so um, to come to Nathan's question what do I use mine for well 
not a lot at the moment because I'm working away a lot and I've not had a lot of time to play around with them. Um, I brought mine with me a couple of times to kind of fool around with the hotel room. But the problem I have is that uh, I can't really lug a screen with me and I keep meaning to buy a kind of small portable USB screen to use with it, but I haven't been able to do that yet. I haven't had time to do that. And it's sometimes challenging to hook it into um, a hotel TV. For some reason, a lot of the hotels I stay in here in London, the uh, the TVs, they do have exposed USB ports. They don't work properly. Um, normally because the TV is locked down to some proprietary hotel system that uh, allows them to stream movies to you at, at a charge and that sort of thing. And and I find that often I can't, even if the, the TV, as I say, has the port on it for plugging the Raspberry Pi in via, US, uh, via HDMI cable, um, either the TV won't acknowledge a source from that port, or certainly if the remote has it disabled so you can't actually switch to it, even using the buttons on the side of the TV doesn't work. So um, that's kind of limited me, which is a little bit annoying because obviously sat in a hotel room two, three nights a week, that would be an opportunity to kind of have a tinker with these things. Um, you can get kind of little laptop style cases with a uh, USB keyboard and a uh, some sort of monitor in, but uh, they're relatively expensive. And the problem with the Raspberry Pi is that it's a cheap device. If you're not careful though, and you buy lots of accessories for it, then it becomes a pretty expensive way to compute compared to just going out something ready built. Um, so you need to kind of bear that in mind, really, and, and I'm very conscious with that. Um, I prefer to buy the individual units and then kind of tinker around with them rather than buy loads and loads of accessories. But uh, anyway, I'm kind of waffling on about this. That That is what the Raspberry Pi is. Um, so, uh, yeah, to answer your question, Nathan, I've not done an awful lot with them so far, but I do have plans. So um, the first thing I want to do is I want to build um, a retro arcading system on one. Now you can do this pretty much off the shelf now. Um, effectively, uh, there's a, a build out there called RetroPie, which, um, as the name suggests, is kind of aimed at retro gaming on the Raspberry Pi. The, the processor on the Pi, while by modern computing standards, it's fairly anemic. Um, by the standards of the computing that's gone for the last 10, 20 years, it's really, really powerful. I mean, this is the sort of thing that 10, 15 years ago, NASA would have killed to have to um, develop and run a spacecraft on. Um, so uh, it's not, it's while it, you know, you're not going to edit video on it or um, necessarily do a lot of high volume computer processing on it, and it's not multi-core. Um, as I say, compared to, you know, the PCs of the last 20 years, it's it's relatively powerful. So it certainly has no problem, particularly if you buy the, the Pi 3, which is the current sort of top of the range, which goes for about £30, so $40, something like that, $45. Um, if you buy one of those, you're not going to have any problems running um, old arcade games, even, even games of sort of 10, 15 years ago, which might have had 3D graphics or something, will run in an emulator and they'll run fine. So RetroPie is actually quite a nice system because with the right front end on it, you can actually emulate pretty much any system from um, arcade games through to all of the 8 and 16-bit computing devices, a lot of the consoles as well. Uh, and all the emulators are kind of built in and pre-configured. So you, all you need to do is, is plug your um, either plug your Pi onto a network or alternatively um, take the SD card out and drop ROMs onto it. And then you can fire those up in RetroPie. Um, there's a lot of nice um, mods out there which where people have kind of done the same sort of thing that, that Tim has done with his uh, jammer boards on his um, putting those into the into the uh, iPad um, kind of arcade console cabinets. There are people who've done a similar sort of thing to create mini cabinets with a, a retro pie. What I, I'm quite have a hankering to do for mine, um, I think I've mentioned this on the show previously, is that um, I've always wanted to have a cocktail arcade cabinet. And uh, I've occasionally browsed eBay looking to buy one. Um, they're very big, they're very bulky. Um, they often need a little bit of work doing to them. And um, while my wife has kind of sounded supportive, I suspect if I actually came home with one in the back of a car, um, particularly one that might need work doing on it and need cleaning up, um, I might get negative, uh, a negative response. But there's quite a few um, places online where people have basically built. Um, using a Raspberry Pi, they built a uh, cocktail arcade cabinet into a table, 
basically a mounted uh, LCD monitor flat into the table looking up, put a sheet of glass over the top, um, kind of solder some controls in there and kind of link those through to the Raspberry Pi that's embedded inside the table. The advantage of Raspberry Pi, is, as I said before, is small, it's low power, and um, because it has pretty good USB connections, it's really quite simple to build um, a system that lets you do that. In fact, you can buy kind of arcade sticks that kind of look like the, uh, if you imagine the control joystick area of an arcade cabinet ripped out and standalone, um, and you, then you kind of screw your Raspberry Pi underneath and just hook it into a TV and there you go. So um, that would be one option, but uh, I really do fancy trying to build it into some sort of table. Um, shouldn't be too difficult because the advantage of the Pi is that you don't need to do kind of all that soldering and uh, tricky wiring that Tim did on his system. Um, I could probably do that, but uh, my, I've got to be honest, my soldering skills are not really up to very much. If I'd rather, not rather plug in USB uh, plugs and kind of mess around on the software side than necessarily do it on the... Uh, with with uh, physical hardware but uh, that's something that i've got in mind and when i get some time um, then that's something that i want to try and do the advantage um, nathan of the raspberry pi is that as i say it's extremely well supported you're kind of only limited by your imagination in terms of what you can do with it and the advantage is the boards are so cheap particularly the zero uh, and the zero is um interesting because it, it's it's extremely cheap it's missing networking hardware built in so you have to kind of add that in via USB um, but the advantage of the Zero is that because it's so cheap you can actually kind of dedicate them to particular projects and I think that's kind of the approach you want to take with a, a Raspberry Pi is um, you effectively do want to think well I'm going to use one and I'm going to use it for this particular project uh, and uh, devote it to that rather than necessarily be taking it apart and doing it for different things over and over again it's easy just to buy extra boards and have different ST cards for them. Um, people have built weather stations. I know that they're very popular for use as uh, Plex media servers, but effectively using it as the brains, you plug it into, a, into an external hard drive that has plenty of storage on it, and then you use the Pi as the actual media server that streams the content um, out to your smart TV or to your iPads or whatever. Now, it's great for that. The only thing it can't really do is transcode that stuff on the fly, which is one of the things that Plex Media Server um, can do. Obviously, the Pi is a little bit too uh, anemic power-wise to actually be able to do that. But certainly, um, if you're not if you're not transcoding the video, but you're actually playing it in a native format, such as uh, um, you know M MPEG or, or MOV or something like that, something that a smart TV or an iPad can can stream okay, then um, the Raspberry Pi works really, really well as a media server. And you can actually get um, a dedicated build for the Raspberry Pi that um, effectively sets all that up for you, either a Plex server or as a standard um, you know, DLNA type server that, that will allow you to use it as a NAS and um, stream video from it. So that's, um, that's one good thing to do. If you've got a hankering to do that, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, weather stations. I've seen a lot of people doing that with them. Um, all sorts of robotics controllers and kind of anything where you where you might want to put a physical interface to it. The uh, the Pi makes a very simple and easy to program um, kind of uh, interface for it. If you are looking for a very cheap computer for for a kid to kind of play around with, if they want to start uh, messing with programming. The, the Pi was really developed as an educational computer. The uh, people behind it had the idea of, um, certainly in the 80s in the UK, we had the BBC Micro, which was a almost like a state-sponsored computer, which was used um, to promote programming in, in Britain's schools. And obviously the BBC uh, tied in a lot of um, education programming, TV programming to it. So the Raspberry Pi was, was kind of, built with the same idea in mind to have a computer that everybody could buy and play around with and that was cheap enough for anybody and that would allow them to learn how to program and really do some more computer science stuff as opposed to the you know here's how to run excel or word which is a lot of what people get taught in schools nowadays so there's an awful lot of educational resources for it in terms of programming simple programming lang languages um um environments where you can build code by dragging blocks around rather than necessarily having to type um, the sort of things where 
it's kind of an extension of the of the original logo concept the logo is a language that allowed you to control very simple plotters um using uh, simple programming instructions uh, back in the uh, 70s and 80s uh, and really the, like these modern environments are a little bit like that but obviously a lot more powerful you can control graphics and sprites on the screen using simple programming blocks and it's a great way to get kids into computing um, and because of the power you have there, I mean, it, it becomes a quite a, an extensible platform. You could use it as a kind of a low-cost general PC. Um, it'll, it runs Linux, so you can use all the Linux software on there. It's a great way for learning Linux without necessarily going to the cost and expense of setting up an old PC or an old laptop for Linux. Um, it, it runs Linux natively, so uh, you really are you know straight to go and the advantage is is that you get a lot more support than you'll get if you go and buy uh, download a copy of ubuntu or something like that and just try start trying to get it work on a generic pc you'll have to worry about drivers and packages and all sorts of fiddly things that you know the nature of linux being aren't necessarily well documented for the uh, beginner or the newbie um whereas raspberry pi is all about making sure that quality documentation for beginners is is available so it's really a great way of learning Linux, and um, you know you'll get something that's very supported and well and you know well documented. And also the communities tend to be a little uh, less hostile to um, new new beginners than perhaps if you go to Ubuntu forums or Linux Mint forums or something like that and start asking silly questions. Uh, what what the people in there might consider silly questions. So um, yeah, it's pretty good for that. Um, Basically, you buy the Pi, you buy a little case for it, uh, and you can be up and running very quickly, very easily. Plug it to a USB power source, um, even a battery or something, and off you go. Get yourself a, a little... One um, I have for mine is kind of a wireless Bluetooth... Uh, is it Bluetooth? It uses a dedicated radio dongle anyway, a USB dongle. I have um, a little tiny uh, keyboard with a built-in trackpad, so you can use keyboard and mouse on the same device. Um, I find that's really good for it, because that allows you to plug it in, set it up. What a lot of people do is they plug these things in, they set them up, and then they um, disconnect them. They run them headless, so they don't have them connected to a screen or a, a keyboard, and they just let them run there. They're great for servers of any description. I know some people use them use them as a VPN server, so that you can have it in your house and allow you to connect remotely from the uh, internet to your to your house and get your files. Um, you can run. Dropbox clones and that sort of thing, so you actually have your own um, kind of little bit of the cloud running in your house. Um, any, any, basically any place where you might want to run a server, you can probably normally find a way to do it in a Raspberry Pi, um, and they're great for just sitting there. If you want to run a, a simple web server on them, you can do that. Um, if you want to mine, run Minecraft, they're excellent as Minecraft servers. So if you want to run your own Minecraft domain, that's very easy to do. Um, and I know some people as well actually set them up as dedicated Minecraft computers for their kids to play on. Um, so uh, that that's another thing you can do as well. So um, what I'd encourage you to do, Nathan, and to anybody else who's interested in, in playing around with the pies, go out to the internet and do a search. There's loads and loads of websites that are set up about, you know, um, with all, all sorts of different projects and ideas and uh, build instructions uh, and that sort of thing. So it really is, is you know, it's, it's limited only by your imagination. There's plenty of people out there thinking of all sorts of uh, of neat ideas to do with them. And, you know, it really is um, it's an exciting time for, uh, if, you, if you're interest, interested in tinkering around with computers, because it really has never been easier. And um, I think the creators of the, of the Raspberry Pi were very surprised by how rapidly it was adopted. Even when they first launched it, they were kind of expecting only to be of interest to teachers and uh, perhaps you know more progressive school kids. And in fact, the the kind of what what you might call the technical maker community kind of really jumped on it right from the beginning. There's always been shortages of the devices um, because they they didn't anticipate demand in their manufacturing, um, and they really did jump on it and uh, kind of you know go for it in a big way. And um, it's really kind of exciting for that because. Really, you know, any 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 place where you want to put a fairly sophisticated computer into a small space, and you can do it, and it's all solid state, and it's easy to program, it's easy to set up and configure, and um, that's really kind of cool. 
so uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Nathan. By all um, by all means, get back in touch if you if you want to know more. Um, and um, remember, of course, that the Raspberry Pi is not the only <laughs> it's not the only small educational or, or low-level computer. Other computers are available. Um, there's Arduino boards, which are uh, kind of probably in the next level up from playing around with something like a Raspberry Pi. And if you want to go further down, there's the the micro bit, which is is the latest BBC sponsored project, which is even less sophisticated than Raspberry Pi, but it's very much aimed at trying to encourage by by, by limiting limiting what it can do, trying to encourage kids to learn how to program, and uh, that's kind of cool as well. So there's all sorts of these things out there, uh, and um, yeah, they they really are um, they really are pretty capable. They're uh, fun machines. So anyway, I'm going to take a break, have a drink. You can probably hear my voice is breaking a little bit. And when I come back, I'll talk to you a little bit about my iPhone 7. It's autumn. No, no, Gaz, it's no, no, fall. No, no, that wasn't, no, 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 that was, it's got to be quicker than that. Okay. It's autumn. Gaz, no, 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 no. It's fall 2016. And they're still going. In spite of whether you like it or not. The G-Men on the MyMac dot com podcast color no, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> i think you could probably edit those a bit closer and edit that out but that doesn't make any sense leaving that color <laughs> well I, I i just think that it goes along with the show <laughs> okay <laughs> but no, keep people guessing saying, everybody will be saying what's that bit at the end <laughs> They'll be saying, did you listen to the last MyMac.com podcast? <laughs> okay, and I'm back. Had a little bit of a drink. I need to slow down a little bit. I think I was gabbling a little bit through that uh, that last section. I apologize to listeners for that. It's easy to kind of get carried away, particularly when you're just talking to yourself. Uh, Tim is when he does these solo shows. He's a bit more expert at it than I am in terms of just uh, slowly speaking into the microphone. I think I get a bit excited and breathless. I shall try and control that uh, that urge. Okay, so iPhone 7. I have it here next to me. Had it for a week now. Now, as a reminder for um, people who didn't catch last week's show um i bought myself an iphone 7 um the standard model not plus uh this is the mid-range in the range it's 128 gig in the memory storage uh, and i bought the black one but not the jet black that apple was showing off at their event this is the matte black standard version now let's talk about how it looks first i said last week that the um, that it felt more solid to me than the iPhone 6s. Um, I still stand by that, but I think, on reflection, that could be kind of a psychological effect that arises from the colour. Um, particularly this this matte black one, the 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 anodized colour is really really deep and strong. It isn't shiny, obviously, um, though actually. It, when it's it's not the mirror finish that you get on the jet black one, but it actually it does reflect a fair amount of light, but it's very very black. This is not remotely grey; it is black, and I think the the combination of having the black screen when it's turned off, the um, anodized black case, and then also the fact that the mirror lines now the uh, the mirror lines the antenna lines are. Um, They've been moved right to the edges, and they are also completely black, rather than grey plastic as they were in the last phone. I think all of that gives the um, gives the iPhone 7 in black a, a kind of a continuous look. It, it, I suspect this is probably what Johnny Ive had in mind when he first came up with this design, before uh, he had to compromise on various bits and pieces for the engineering. Uh, and I think the fact it is all black and quite seamless is what gives it that impression of solidity that that I was talking about last week. Uh, it's very pleasing 
um, if that's if that's kind of floats your boat, if you you want the idea of something that feels and looks really solid in the hand, then you know this is definitely it. Now, obviously, I can't comment on the on the different colours. Uh, I know that they have um, obviously they all have the same antenna design, and I know that um, they've they've done a lot to kind of integrate the antennas into the case. But I, I can't obviously I've not I've not been in some Apple stores since I bought mine, so I've not handled a an iPhone 7 in any other colour other than black. So uh, I can't say whether the others give the same impression or not. But it, yeah, it is pretty solid. Um, obviously, one of the big changes, apart from the uh, headphone jack, which I'll come to uh, shortly, is the um, the home button that is now not really a button, but kind of a pressure-sensitive area that drives the um, taptic vibration engine in the phone to activate. Now, again, I think there's a bit of kind of psychology going on here in terms of how this this feels to to us poor weak-minded apes um when you first get it you press on it and you think that feels a bit odd um and you'll probably have if you if you've read any reviews of the iphone 7 you'll heard or read people saying oh it's not really it doesn't really feel like a button you the whole bottom of the phone vibrates and it does but here's the weird thing it feels like that for about the first two or three hours you use it, and then after that, it feels like a button. <laughs> it's really kind of strange. When I first um, first got it, I kind of, when you press it on the table, it definitely feels like a button, right right from the off. If, if the phone is down on the table and you press on it, because you press the button and you feel the little tap, it feels like the button is pressing in, even though it's not. But when you first get the phone and you kind of hold it in your hand, you feel the whole bottom of the phone kind of vibrate in your hand when you press on it and you think oh that's not really a button but you kind of soon forget that you soon forget what a button feels like uh, and then the next time you press on it, it it does the clicking thing and yes you can still feel it in the back of the phone but all of a sudden your, your brain starts thinking oh this button's moving and and after that you can't shake that feeling it's really kind of strange and the issue is and uh, I, I showed this device to my brother last weekend he was over from Paris and he <laughs> kind of noticed this straight away. After about 10 minutes of playing with it, he went, well, that's done it. He said, that's ruined my current 6S. It now feels like crap. I'm going to have to get a new one. I'm going to have to get the 7. Because it does do that. It really... I, I, I Yeah, I have a... I'm, I'm on an iPad Pro here, and uh, I have an iPad Mini at home. And when you're using a, the real button, it doesn't feel right anymore. Because, uh, obviously, the whole device doesn't vibrate when you press on it and it feels kind of squishy and not very nice whereas the um the kind of haptic button feels nicer uh, and it really is weird because you know in your kind of intellectual mind that the thing is not moving but you just become a uh, accustomed to the um the kind of the spooky thing that the taptic engine is doing and it and it really feels very effective um i really like it i'm looking forward to all the other devices adopting the same technology i hope they do because I, I do think it's an improvement there's been some stuff kind of bandied around by people saying that over in uh, asia and uh, china in particular people always turn on assisted touch to mean to make sure that they don't have to use the home button because there is this kind of concern or perhaps this cultural meme that the home buttons wear out and um, so you're better not using them. You're better using something else. And I suspect it's that cultural feel that, that Apple's tried to um, tackle with this with this new non-moving button. Plus, obviously, it improves reliability and uh, the uh, the water resistance of the phone. Um, but you know, it really does kind of work. I, I I've got to admit, I. I've had devices um, from Apple before where the home button has failed. I had an iPad too that definitely went. I remember sending that up to be fixed. Um, and I've had others where it's become um, the the kind of the, the the quality of the button has changed over time. And I must admit, even with my 6S, um, because you use that double click gesture to get to the multitasking on the phone, I always felt uncomfortable doing that because it's it seemed like a lot of button presses. Uh, I, on the 6S, obviously with the um, 3D touch. You can actually do it from the side. You can actually 3D touch and press hard at the side to get to the uh, 
to get to the um, multitasking uh, kind of card thing. Um, and I, I kind of got in the habit of doing that more rather than double tapping on the home button. Now I don't need to worry about that anymore. And I've gone back to double tapping on the home button because I know that the uh, the button can't break. <laughs> of course, you have potentially moved the failure point somewhere else because I guess the Taptic engine itself could fail from overuse if that was a concern. Um, I'm not concerned about that. It's something that's deep inside the phone. It just feels safer than um, having a physical button that can kind of wear out. We've all had switches that have failed in the past. It's kind of a human nature experience thing. And maybe that's what Apple is trying to address with this feature change. But it's nice, and I like it. Um, that I mentioned the water resistance as part of, uh, a part of that kind of thought process. And... Um, I'm really liking that too, and not because I regularly drop my phone in water. I'm, I think the last phone I ever dropped in water, yes, it was a toilet, was um was a, a Nokia, a 3350, I think, one of the little candy bar ones. Anyway, I had it in my uh, shirt pocket, and I uh, I bent over to flush the toilet, and it slipped out of my pocket into the bowl. So um, I've never done that with an iPhone, thank goodness. But it's one of the things that you could do. Um, but what I appreciate for the water resistance is not that at all, though. Obviously, the fact that it survives something like that would be great. Um, but uh, it's for the ability to use the phone um, basically outside when it's raining. I've always been conscious, particularly when they used to have the headphone port on the top, that um, I, t I tend to keep my phone in my either my front shirt breast pocket it's not not a great place to put it, to be honest. Or in my, uh, if I'm wearing a jacket, a suit jacket, then in the breast pocket of the suit jacket. Um, just because it's easy to get to, it's often easier to get it in there. If you put it on the ins in the inside pocket of a suit jacket, sometimes what can happen, you put it in vertically and then it kind of flops over and it goes horizontal and then it's really hard to get out. So uh, I kind of like to keep it in the breast pocket because the breast pocket keeps the phone vertical. But I have been conscious in the past of walking in the rain and thinking, hey, the rain is falling into me vertically. Some of it will be falling vertically into my um, my phone pocket. And um, particularly if there's an open port on the top of the phone, that lets moisture in there. And as we all know, um, anybody who's ever followed Apple, um, the phones have these little moisture sensors in there. I have been bit by this myself before, where I, I had a problem with a screen on one of my iPhones. I think, was that my 5? Um, and I took it in for warranty repair and they checked the phone. They said, oh, well, the moisture sensors have been activated. That means uh, that the phone is classed as water damaged and we can't fix the screen fault for free, which was irritating, let me tell you, particularly as the phone had never been wet. Um, but I also mentioned last week that sometimes I use it, um, I have it on when I'm in the bathroom in the shower so I can listen to podcasts. Um, you know, turn the volume up, and the new phone is louder, definitely louder than the old one, so it's pretty good for that. But the problem is, again, if you're in a kind of a high steam environment, then um, you worry about the phone's water sensors getting activated and invalidating your warranty. Now, I presume this is something I do not need to worry about with this one, because it's sealed against all of that. So I appreciate the water resistance as a feature, even though I'm not going to be running my phone in a glass of water or trying to use it in a puddle or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that's all good. So, um, camera. Yeah, the camera is noticeably better than the one with 6S. Just casually taking photos. You can see that the the colours pop a little bit more. The um, certainly the performance of low light is better than it was before. Um, you, I've particularly noticed with FaceTime that the quality of the front-facing FaceTime camera is much better than it was on the 6S. Um, I'm, I hope the people I talk to on FaceTime, my family, appreciate that. I mean, it's probably no great shakes. I'm not a big selfie taker, so I couldn't comment on whether. I'm sure it's better for selfies, but. But I can't comment from my own personal experience on that. But clearly, Apple recognises that that's an important thing that people like to do with their phones, and so improving the quality of the selfie experience is probably something they wanted to address. Um, so that's all good. And finally, the 
elephant in the room, as we as we call it, the headphone jack. I've got to say, I know Tim was very very bent out of shape by this. Um, I was a little bit less so because I've long been a user of Bluetooth headphones. Uh, had them for quite a few years, uh, and um, I tend to prefer them really. This, I mean, Apple is definitely onto something when they talk about the convenience of wireless. Uh, I know it sounds intellectually a little bit silly because you think, well, you know, the phone's in my breast pocket, like I was just saying, it's close to me. Why should I worry about having a cable running from a phone to my head? Um, but it is interesting how breaking that connection, how it does kind of improve the experience. And I'm not talking about sound quality because it doesn't. I'll be honest with you, it doesn't improve the sound quality at all. It slightly degrades the sound quality. Whether that degradation in quality is... I wouldn't say it's not measurable because I think it is measurable, but whether it's important in the way most people use their phones to listen to music and uh, spoken word, I would argue it's not important because I don't think most people care about quality when they're listening to music on the phone. So they just want to be able to hear it. Quality is... I mean, we all used to listen to AM and FM radios, and the quality of any smartphone solution, uh, wired or wireless, is, is way above that uh, in terms of the quality of the music, the dynamism of the music. Um, Apple has stats and has talked about how uh, many people just use the earbuds that come with the phone. Uh, and those earbuds are adequate and nothing better than adequate, really. Um, if they're not sat right in your ears, then they don't sound great. Um, even if they are sat right in your ears, they're a cheap pair of headphones, cheap pair of earphones. And then, of course, the music we're playing is compressed to heck. It's often string. I listen to a lot of streaming nowadays, and the streaming music is even worse than the uh, the stuff you get from the iTunes Store in terms of compression. The iTunes Store stuff is actually pretty good, but the the stuff you get streaming is not. Uh, and it will vary depending on where you are and whether you're on Wi-Fi and what your quality settings in your app. I've been playing around with Google Play recently. I've noticed the quality in that, to me, is certainly slightly lower than it is on um, on uh, Spotify or Apple Music. But the point is, is when, when you're streaming music, I mean, you're, so you've got all these different points in the chain that are going to reduce the quality. So kind of bent out of shape about the quality of the link between your ears and the uh, phone, I think, is is probably not something that's worth worrying about. So as I say, the convenience factor of Bluetooth really is great. In, in fact, just the other week, I uh, I was on a train, and I was trying to get off the train, and um, a guy walked past me, and he kind of got his his headphones, um, his headphone cable kind of caught in my bag as I walked past, and he kind of called out to me to get me to stop before I walked off and ripped his headphones apart. So not having that really is quite freeing. Um, and uh, and it's pretty good, you know. It's it allows you to leave your phone in your bag and just control it with the headphones, if that's what you want to do. Um, to put your bag down if your phone is in your bag, or to take your jacket off if your phone is in your jacket, um, or even if you, you know if you know, your phone's in your front jeans pocket, your front uh, your front pocket, you be able to stretch, move your head, and just basically not worrying about having a cable that's going to distract from your experience. Um, it's really nice. And you know what? For not very much money now, you can get pretty good Bluetooth headphones. If you go with a name brand, um, you can get either over-ear or in-ear headphones that are actually, you know, they perform well given the, um, you know, given some, some physical limitations. Obviously, we have in-ear headphones, uh, in-ear earphones, then um, earbuds, that sort of thing. They, they're not going to have a big battery in, so the battery life is not going to be hundreds of hours. It's going to be five sat five hours something like that but um you know what five hours is okay yeah it doesn't sound like a lot but it's okay and the advantage that in-ear headphones have is the battery in them is tiny which means when you charge them they charge very very quickly so uh, if you do run out of charging them and i, I have had this happen to me I, I mentioned last week it happened to me um it's relatively quick to charge them up if you have a portable battery or something with you you can charge them up in a few minutes enough to kind of probably get to to where you where you're going if you've been caught short on the charge and certainly the over-the-ear ones kind of the stuff that looks like a conventional set of um, earphones but uh, with the wireless built in those 
they have a larger battery, they tend to last for about 20 hours, 30 hours, something like that, which is plenty. It really is plenty. So, um, and and I have both both styles. I have a, a Sony pair of over-the-ear ones that were cheap. They're about 35 pounds, something like that. Uh, and then the in-ear ones I use are a Plantronics uh, Backbeat Go Twos, I think they're called. Um, and they're they're also set. They sound pretty good actually. They're not they're not bad at all. Um, and um, you know they they give me the performance I need. They fit closely. I like the in-ear ones. They they fit pretty closely in my ears. They kind of sit in there, so you get a good seal. So you do get a pretty good sound out of them. Uh, battery life is pretty good. They have a remote um, on the cable that connects the two things together. Um, that allows you to control your music, um, skip, pause, and volume, and all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they're okay, and they're not expensive. So um, not while like you know, I wouldn't say that necessary Bluetooth is for everyone, and the pairing and stuff is not great. Yeah, let's be honest, it's, it's kind of a clunky process. But most of us, um, I know Apple has done great things with this W2 chip they put in the in the new um, AirPods. But um, most of us, and certainly this is my experience, you buy a pair of Bluetooth headphones, you pair them with your phone, and then that's it. You know, once they're paired, then they're paired. Every time you turn them on, they connect straight to your phone. Job done. So actually... While the pairing can be a pain, uh, a slightly clunky, it's something you do once and then you don't ever have to think about again. So it's not a big deal. Um, unless you're moving between different devices and most Bluetooth headphones nowadays, if you get something with Bluetooth 4 on it, then most of those will pair to multiple devices at the same time and automatically switch between devices at the same time. So if you want a pair of Bluetooth headphones that talk to your iPad or uh, talk to your um, your iPhone at the same time and switch between them, then most of them will do that now. And certainly I'd recommend if you are buying a pair, buy a brand name pair rather than no name, because if you're getting stuff from China, you don't know what you're getting. Um, the quality can be variable. So buy from a, a known brand name and make sure it supports Bluetooth 4. Uh, Bluetooth 4 also is much better on the energy as well. It's, the battery life lasts a lot longer. Get a Bluetooth 4 set of headphones. You're going to be pretty happy with those. Um, if you don't want Bluetooth headphones, if you want to use wired headphones, then you can. Effectively, what Apple has done with this little dongle they put in the pack is they've moved the headphone port just from the phone to the end of a little lightning cable. It's very, very short. The whole adapter is probably only about an inch and a half long, um, which means you can just plug it into your wired headphones and it just becomes an extension of your wired headphones um, so that instead of connecting to the um, headphone jack you connect using the lightning port and um, I have one pair of headphones that I use that with I have my uh, Bose in-ear um, noise cancelling headphones and I specifically use those when I'm on the train or when I'm on a plane I don't tend to use them anywhere else not when I'm walking around I have done that in the past but the problem is if you turn noise cancelling on and you're walking around, you can't really hear things like traffic. Um, and that's a little bit important when you're walking around the city. So that's why I've stopped using them for that, because I I didn't want to get into myself in a situation where I got run over because I had a pair of headphones on. So um, I use those on a plane or on the train. Uh, and I use the train. I'm in the train all the time now because I'm traveling back, back and forth to London every week. So I'm using them all the time. I have my lightning adapter on the end of them and I just plug them in and they work fine. And it's easy, it's not a problem. Yes, there is a slight downside that you couldn't use them if you were going to charge your phone. And um, hold up my hands and say, yeah, that is a problem. Um, but it's less of a problem with the iPhone 7 because the battery life is so good. And this is the thing that I, I really want to come down to is the kind of, the, the, for me, which has made the upgrade worthwhile. The battery life on the iPhone 7, and I'm not talking about the Plus here, I'm talking about the regular iPhone, is a massive improvement over the iPhone 6S. My 6S wasn't old, because remember I had mine stolen back in February. So I had a replacement device given to me in, uh, in February, so it was about six months old. Uh, and my typical day, uh, today's a pretty good example day. I was uh, in my office in Manchester this morning. Um, we don't have office phones, so we tend to use our phones for 
calls in the office. So I, I made a, and received a couple of calls this morning. There was a, a, a round of texting to to my wife um, that I did on the phone. Uh, a couple of instances to sit down at a coffee shop and stuff, browsing uh, the news and that sort of thing. So the phone wasn't sat there doing nothing. Um, and then I left at lunchtime. I um, went to the station and I took the train down to London. Now, I, I've always found that travelling down between uh, Manchester and London, which is about a two-hour, 20-minute journey, um, it's about 200 miles, has always been hard on the phone's life because basically you are... The, the trains in... I don't know what they're like in the US, but certainly in the, in the UK, the trains here, they are big, well-constructed metal boxes, so they're not really great for telephone, for telephone reception. And then you're on a, a, a rail line, you're doing about 120, 130 miles an hour, so you're zipping in and out of coverage all the time. So it's pretty hard on the on the radio's uh, battery life. In the past, uh, I've uh, had to do things like turn off Wi-Fi when I'm on the train to try and conserve a bit of power. A lot of the trains have a free Wi-Fi service now, um, which I don't use because it's terrible. Um, and uh, I get on the train and I've often turned Wi-Fi off. First of all, to stop the phone trying to connect to the damn thing, because as I say, it's terrible. But secondly, because um, I'm conscious of battery life. Today, I didn't need to do that. I basically left the phone running um, as it was. Again, I took a couple of calls on the train, uh, looked up a couple of bits and pieces, uh, listened to a bit of music, uh, played a game, I think I played a game on it for about 5-10 minutes, uh, though most of the time I was using my iPad. By the way, I plugged my um, noise cancelling headphones into my iPad Pro. Uh, because the the adapter is already on the end, the lightning adapter. It works fine, um, and it's just easier to plug it directly into my iPad and still use the lightning adapter for my noise cancelling headphones rather than take the lightning adapter off and plug it into the headphone jack. So and that's an aside. Um, so anyway, yeah, the phone was there, and when I got to London, it still had 35-40% battery life, and this was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Got up about seven this morning, so it's been off charge since seven this morning. Um, in uh, with the 6s, it would have been down to about 15%. Uh, it would have been low power mode, and I would have been itching to charge it, either put up the battery or something. So I then um, listened to podcasts all the way across London on the tube to get out to my hotel. And uh, when I got to my hotel, it had about 25% uh, left. I then did a 15-minute FaceTime call home um, over 4G. Uh, and uh, then, because I was about to go out for dinner, then while I was out of dinner, I pulled, plugged it into a battery. It's down to about 15%. So um, my 6S just would not have done that. My 6S would have needed charging while I was on the train this afternoon. So, um, yeah, massive improvement in battery life. And for me, that makes makes it worth upgrading because I'm charging my phone all the time otherwise. Um, and I've now found, in, after a week with the, with the 7, I'm basically, most days, I'm just not needing to charge it at all until I go to bed. Which is kind of what I want out of a phone. I don't mind charging it overnight, but I don't want to have to start worrying about power during the day. And whatever they've done in the 7, um, whether it's a combination of the iPhone 7 together with iOS 10, I don't know. But whatever's going on here, in here, I'm getting much, much better battery life. And that's kind of what I want. So, uh, and that's in a device that's um, no th no uh, thicker or larger than last year's model. So, um, there you have it. For me, that makes it all worthwhile upgrade. Though I appreciate for a lot of people it won't. If, certainly, if you have to buy yourself out of a 6S contract, um, it, it, I don't know whether those things would be justifiable enough to, to switch to a new phone. Uh, and obviously, I think everyone has to recognise as well that you know, as good as this phone is, next year's will probably be even better. And the rumours are that there's going to be going to have some sort of new design that's going to be a more radical departure than this one. I think Apple have really done a good job on the seven. I think they've concentrated on improving the things that make a biggest difference to people who use the phone. And you know, even even while it's not a you know perhaps a stellar external upgrade in terms of how it looks. I think the changes they've made justify uh, what they've done. Um, and as I say, I think they've worked very hard to try and do stuff that, that really changes the experience and makes the phone better for everybody. And 
I think they've achieved that. I think um, I think it's a really good device. Um, I, whether this will kind of stem the slowdown in iPhone sales, I don't know. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of factors beyond the quality of the phones that affect those sorts of things. But um, you know, it's interesting. I I I queued up on the day to get it. Um, I think I said last week there was problems with the uh, with the upgrade program system that just been introduced to the UK. So um, there was a queue. Um, there was not the massive crowds of people um, that you've seen in previous iPhone launches. I think those days are are gone. Um, and I think that shows maturity in the iPhone market. It was fun while it lasted, but, you know, I think we all agree, got a little silly at times, the whole, uh, you know, walking through the Arch of Apple employees and all of that, waving your phone when you came out and that sort of thing. I've been there, done it, but I, I think um, I think those days are gone and, you know, whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know, I guess it depends on your perspective and your love of Apple. But, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with my iPhone 7. I love it. I really, really do. And uh, I'm pleased I did the upgrade. I don't find myself missing my 6S at all, um, headphone jack or not. I'm sure Tim will have things to say about that next time we speak. But speaking of which, I've been uh, going on for nearly an hour. Didn't think I'd go quite that long, actually. Um, I hope I've not gabbled too much. And um, I look forward to uh, speaking to Tim again next week and speaking to all of you. Remember to get in touch with us if you want to, uh, at TechFanPodcast on Twitter. Um, or you can go to our website, techfanpodcast.com, uh, and leave a message under a particular show there. Um, you'll find contact details for emailing us there as well. And um, of course, you're, we always encourage you, if, you, if you feel like it, to go to iTunes and leave us a review on there as well. Um, thanks for listening. It was a pleasure to talk and share my experiences and thoughts with you. And I look forward to speaking to Tim next weekend, as I say, sharing our thoughts with you. Take care and have a good week.